Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. You know, the God's Word tells us that He inhabits the praise of His people. And part of what that means is when we, when we praise and worship Him, He's present in a powerful way, a different kind of way than when we just sit here and look at each other. And so I know it does the Lord's heart good when you praise Him, and I think it does your heart great good to experience God inhabiting the praise of His people. Um, I'm excited to get to make some announcements of some reopenings that are happening around here next Sunday. Um, our preschool department is reopening. Whoop, whoop, yeah. <laughs> w- w- wave your friend, Miss Esther. <laughs> she has been just chomping at the bit to get back in with her little ones. And uh, our, our whole preschool team is and are grateful for uh, being able to take that step. They're going to be working, you know, extra hard to continue to provide safe and sanitary, um, you know, uh, serving areas for your kids to to be in. And so we're grateful for that. Also next week, not this week yet, but next week, um, based on just some trends that we're seeing and uh, we're gonna move to a place we were before in here, trying to keep people six foot apart. But once you're seated, not singing, just seated, um, we're gonna say, if you're comfortable taking your mask off, we want you to feel the freedom to do that beginning next Sunday. Okay, um, and so yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. I know we're 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 wanting to head back to to more and more of that. We're going to continue to to do that in a way that that shepherds one another well and and tries to take care of of each and every one. Um, also, I want to let you know on your way out. Uh, you may have saw them on the way in, but there are some invitations for you to give to family and friends to. Come and join us as we celebrate the resurrection uh, here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, there, there, there's also online an invitation that you can send electronically to invite folks to not only be with us in our you know, in-person service, but on our live stream. But that's the way they want to gather with us and join with us. We want to encourage you. There, there are little business cards that you can, can take. And I hold these up as if I had something to do with them. Kim Blayton and our communications director designs and, and makes these available. Available, and so we're so grateful for that um, tool and resource to make it easy for you to extend an invitation for someone to join you as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And speaking of celebrations, on Sunday, March the 28th, 4 p.m., if you don't have it on your calendars, we are going to participate in a Passover meal. Um, it will be a kind of scaled down a little bit. It's called a taster. Uh, we will have with us via Zoom... Um, and a, a, a missionary from Jews for Jesus, his name is Asher, and Asher will be leading us in that through Zoom. And so we have put out information about how to access that Zoom meeting. You're going to, uh, there's a list of things that we've put out also for you to fully participate in Passover. You can find it on our website if you haven't seen it yet. Things that you can 
prepare, to be ready to actually experience the, this taster Passover meal. And uh, there'll be time for some question and answer at the end of that, but it'll all be done via Zoom, so you'll be right there in the comfort of your own home, around your table, celebrating Passover. And we're, we're looking at that event to help us kind of give launch to the week of Passion, leading to our Monday Thursday service, and then to uh, the day we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. On that day, we're going to do the best job we can to clearly communicate the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And so I hope you'll join us, but I also hope you'll uh, consider inviting some folks to join you for that great day. We're going to be in John chapter 21 today. If you've got your Bibles, you want to begin turning there. Um, it is this incredible story about restoration. But before we get there, as you're turning there or turning your Bibles on and, you know, flipping there with your thumb... Um, I want to show you a, a, another kind of story of restoration. We have, we have some car enthusiasts in our, our church. We've got, got several of them, actually. And some have done the work of restoration of a car. Some have bought their cars restored. They love the classics and have seen them brought back to life. But uh, Matt Lane... Uh, is one of those guys who's a car enthusiast, but he's also a, a car restorer. So when you go to that first picture, we're going to do some before and afters. This is a 1967 Camaro Supersport. Um, it's in hideous condition. Um, and you'll see more of the hideous in, in just a second. There, Matt, I asked Matt for some pictures of this car, and he sent me a PowerPoint presentation that he made up. And one of, I couldn't show them all to you, but there's one where Joy is like, oh my goodness. He, you know, Matt had a vision for what this car could be. Go to the next slide, please. And that's what it looks like today. It's been a little transformed. How about look at the engine? Before and after. Yeah, how about the interior? Before and after. We love to see things restored. You know, we, we have other folks in our church who are kind of do-it-yourselfers, restorers. You know, you, you see a, a piece of furniture beside the road and you think, oh my, that would be gorgeous if da-da-da-da-da. You get this vision for something, and you, you take that, and you, 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 you repurpose it. You give it. You give it new life, and that's an incredible thing to get to see when something is that, that's been discarded, something that, you know, maybe its previous owner, it, its purpose failed for them, it was, and they, they discard it, stick it out beside the road, and, and there's something inspiring and beautiful about seeing that thing given new life. Something that was wrecked and wretched and, and, and worn out and left beside the road to be restored to beauty and, and new purpose. Now, just like cars and just like furniture, people sometimes can get wrecked and, and, and broken. Sometimes people fail and sometimes they're discarded. Rejected, marginalized by, by others. But people can be restored. In the hands of an infinitely loving God, they can be restored to an even better condition to fulfill an even greater purpose. And that's what this last chapter of the Gospel of John is about. It's such a great 
story. And I want us to read it together. It's remarkable. It's filled with incredible beauty of God's grace. It's filled with the mercy of God. It's this story. The backstory is a great failing, but this even greater flourishing in the days ahead. And so I want us to, to, to go there to John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading um, in verse 4. It says this, just as day was breaking, now this is after the resurrection, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Because they were out fishing. And Jesus answered them, I mean, they answered him and said, no. So Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now historians tell us that those boats, those fishing boats, were somewhere between seven and eight foot wide. So they got their net on this side of the boat, the left side, and Jesus said, take your net out of that side, move it eight foot over here, and you'll catch some fish. Now to seasoned fishermen, they're probably thinking, okay, here we go again. But it gets interesting. He tells them to do that. So they cast it, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, and we know that that's the apostle John, the writer of this gospel. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, so breakfast is over now. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, Jesus says to you, when, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death Peter was to have to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, 
what is that to you? You follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I want us to see this morning this great resurrection, I'm getting resurrection and restoration mixed up. This great restoration project, which is actually a resurrection in many ways, of Peter being moved by Jesus from this great failing to a life of flourishing. And so that you really get captured by how great the failing was with Peter, I want to take you back into the Gospels just a few days, actually a couple of weeks maybe earlier uh, from when this event happened. And we're going to see Peter just ultimately train wreck kind of thing, fail Jesus. Um, have any of you ever gone on YouTube and looked at some of those videos about fail, you know, these great attempts, somebody tries to do something, they just blow it. I mean, it's a horrible, you know, fail. Um, What Peter experienced, I think, is even uh, just a a greater, if you weigh, devastation of failure. Peter failed Jesus multiple times on the night before Jesus would be beaten and and crucified and die on the cross. uh, Peter failed him multiple times. And I want you to see just that great failure. First of all, Peter failed Jesus in the upper room where they had gathered for the Passover meal. Peter fails Jesus incredibly uh, in that setting. There was this moment in time where Jesus wants to set an example of what it means to be a servant. And so he starts washing the feet of the disciples. And when he comes to Peter, it's recorded in John 13. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter failed to live humbly in Jesus' presence. His, his, his fatal flaw was his pride. It, it laid hold of him again in this moment. This, you know, he had this kind of arrogant desire to always be thought of as disciple numero uno. You know, there was this always bickering back and forth, jockeying for kind of position of who was the most important. Look how Jesus answered this statement. Jesus answered Peter and said, if, you, if I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Peter failed Jesus in the presence of the other disciples. Now, what I believe is just a very short time after that, still in the upper room, while they're in the midst of sharing this great Passover meal, Peter steps into another fail. Jesus tells all the disciples, you're all going to fall away. All of you are going to reject me and run. Things are going to get that bad. And Peter... Steps up again, runs his mouth. You know, Peter was just filled with with, with self-deception. He didn't know the truth of his own heart, but Jesus did. And so Peter Peter steps up, and uh, Matthew 26, we read this, "Though, though they all fall away because of you. Again, Peter is putting down the other disciples. Yeah, I can see these boys doing it. You know, I, I know what they're like. They're gonna fail you, but, but not me. He says, I will never fail you. Uh, I'll never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And Jesus' response to that was Jesus foretells publicly here in front of the other disciples that three times Peter's going to deny him publicly. Just deny that he even knows Jesus. That wasn't the last failing that took place that night. After they leave this upper room where the Passover meal, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, what we know as communion, they leave that place and Jesus takes the disciples to what I believe is his favorite place of prayer when he would be in Jerusalem. He took them to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And it's here where Peter steps into two other major failures in this Garden of Gethsemane, this great prayer place of Jesus. Jesus takes the disciples and he says, we're coming here, we're going to pray. Um, some of you stay right here. He takes Peter, James, and John with him a little further into the garden. And he tells them, I want you to, I want you to stay here, be with me, keep watch, pray. I'm going to go over here a little further. And we know that Jesus went and, and fell before the Father and cried out in prayer. We, we, we know that this happened. And the, those disciples were, were with him. And uh, Matthew 26 tells us, And taking him, Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And Jesus goes and prays, but then he comes back to where Peter, James, and John are. And he says this, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Notice who he speaks to. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Peter, you just said you'd never deny me, even if you have to die. And you can't even stay awake, dude. You can't even pray for just a little while with me. Seeing me in sorrow, you, you can't do it. See, Peter failed to stay awake, failed to keep watch for Jesus. And just moments after this, I don't know how long, but shortly after this, the soldiers would come. The soldiers that Jesus had said would come, that he was going to have to suffer, that he was going to ha have, have to walk through this, this great pain, the soldiers would come. And instead of trusting what Jesus had said to him and to the other disciples, Peter has another plan in mind. And, you know, he, he, he doesn't take Jesus at his word. And look how, how Peter failed. John chapter 18, verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not do the will of God, Peter? Peter failed Jesus yet again. But his greatest failing would not be in the upper room. It wouldn't be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter's greatest failing would be in the courtyard of the high priest that evening. This would take place again, and I, I believe that this would be that point at which Peter comes face to face with his own arrogant pride. This is the place where that would begin to come, uh, become unraveled. This is the place where Peter would become aware of his own brokenness, his, his own weakness. Mark records this in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. It says, they led Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting, this is Peter, was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. One of the servant uh, girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it saying, I neither knew nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. The Bible tells us there would be two other denials. And on that third denial, we know that Jesus turned, the Bible tells us in Luke, and looked at Peter. I think Peter made eye contact with the Lord in that moment. But Jesus, in the midst of that, that crowd of the scribes and Pharisees and the beating that he was taking, when that, when that happened, that third denial, the Bible tells us that Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. I believe Peter looked at him. And, and what happens next is the Bible says that, that Peter fled from there weeping bitterly. And we don't see Peter again 
until after the resurrection. We don't know what went on for Peter while Jesus was being crucified. We don't know what's going on with Peter. But I can just, I can just imagine that he was beating himself up. That, that, that weeping, that bitter weeping just lasted. You know, I could hear him asking those self-incriminating questions. Why? Why did I do this? What, what made me think I was better than the other guys that I wouldn't fall away? Why, why do I keep doing this? What, what does Jesus think of me now? And I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't leave him to wander that too long. Because we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, one of the first people that he asks about is Peter. He asks about Peter. In fact, in Mark chapter 16, um, the, many of you know that on the day of resurrection, that Sunday, women had gone to the tomb to further prepare the body of Jesus for his final burial. They did not expect him not to be in the tomb, did not expect him to be raised from the dead. But they get there and he's gone. And there's an angel sitting there, and this is what the angel said to them. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples, notice this, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This, this messenger, this angel from God, had a message for the disciples, but he had a special message for Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. See, God was already at work drawing Peter back to himself, drawing Peter out of his failings to a life of flourishing. And we don't know the details of what happened but there was a private meeting that Scripture bear witness about between Peter and Jesus. Luke records it in Luke chapter 24. It says, and they rose that same hour. Here, here's what the context is. There were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus after the, the crucifixion, well, after the resurrection. They did not know that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They're walking on this road, and Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. And as they're walking along, Jesus starts telling them these incredible things, and they eventually get to their house, and Jesus eats with them, and when he breaks the bread, the Bible tells us their eyes were open, they knew it was Jesus, and Jesus departed. He left them. And so they go running back into the city. It says this, and they rose that same hour, returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Somewhere in that conversation, Jesus told them, that he'd had a private meeting with Peter, Simon Peter. It, it's recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as well. Paul writes, I delivered to you as first importance what I received from uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. That's another uh, way of saying Peter. And then to the 12. Jesus had this private meeting with Peter to begin restoring him, I believe. I'm convinced that that's what this was. It was private. It wasn't this, you know, this place of public humiliation. He met with him privately. And though all, all the other disciples had fallen away and had run and rejected Jesus, none of them denied him like Peter did. None of them faced the same level of shame that Peter did. And so Jesus sets out to go meet with Peter. It's one of the first things he does in his resurrection. Friends, that's amazing grace. That's mercy unbelievable. 
you know, Peter denied Christ, but things had to be settled between them personally and intimately. And I believe that that meeting was filled with the mercy of God and the amazing grace of our Lord. Jesus comes after Peter. He doesn't wait for Peter to figure out how to do something. He comes after him. And this private meeting, that wouldn't be the end of this restorative process. Jesus knew that Peter was going to need even more of this. And so to, to to help Peter move from this great failing to flourishing, to become this leader that God had planned for him to be in the presence of his brothers. And that's what John 21 is about. We get to see this next great restoration that's gonna be done in the presence of his brothers that Jesus is going to do. He's gonna work to repair more of Peter's brokenness, more of his shame, so that Peter could fulfill the role, the plan that God had for him. Now, just like anyone who seeks to restore a car or a piece of furniture, that restorer has to have a vision for what this could look like. Matt had to have a vision for what that, that car on that trailer could actually look like, that it could look different, that it could, it could take on new life, it could, it could, it could have purpose again, it could, it could be beautiful. And Jesus has that kind of vision for Peter. And truthfully, Jesus has that kind of vision for you. For every one of us. Jesus had a perfect vision of what Peter's life could be. Even at this point of Peter's greatest corruption, as a, at the point of his greatest failing, Jesus had a plan. He had this, this vision. And Jesus starts to put this plan in motion and we see part of that plan living out in John 21. And there's some things here that I wanna, wanna kind of point out in this passage. Three things that I see Jesus using to begin to continue this journey of moving Peter from failing to flourishing. And again, this time it's not just done in private, although there's a private component to it. There's this kind of public experience of it. They'll, Peter and, and Jesus will have some private moments, but they're going to even take place where the, his brothers can see that Jesus is restoring him. And Jesus demonstrates this great love that he has for Peter. And he demonstrates this incredible acceptance that he has for Peter in the midst of his brothers so that he can move from failing to flourishing. So let me give you those three points pretty quickly. The first thing that we, I want you to see in order to move into flourishing out of failing is you've got to have a friend who can point out Jesus and his activity in your life, to point out Jesus' activity, to move from, uh, flourish, uh, from failing to flourishing. You've got to have kind of partners in your life, people who love you, who can see the activity of Jesus maybe when you can't. Because here's the deal. When you find yourself in a great failing, when you find yourself at a moment of great corruption, oftentimes it's easy for you to get stuck there, for you not to see, to be able to see beyond that, to not be able to see the activity of Jesus seeking to restore you. See, when, when you're trapped in the misery of failure, one of the things that happens is you grow a great big blind spot. And it just makes it very difficult for you to see. You become overwhelmed with self-doubt and self-loathing and self-rejection. You start hearing the voice of the enemy just constantly attacking your identity, who you are. Sometimes that voice comes from other people, not just directly from Satan himself. And we need some people close to us who love us, who in those moments in our lives can point and say, I think Jesus is working there. 
See, we see this in this encounter in John chapter 21. In verse 7, the Bible tells us that the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, they're in this boat, they're fishing. Jesus asked them some questions. They don't know it's Jesus yet. He asked them and he tells them to put the net on the other side of the boat and they do and it gets filled. And this is what happens in verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter. He didn't say this to the other guys. And I think he said it to Peter because he knew Peter was hurting. And he knew right now Peter needed Jesus profoundly and powerfully. And so John, I don't know whether they were working side by side in the boat trying to get this net up to the boat. I don't know exactly what happened. But the Bible says that that John said this to Peter. Do the other guys hear? I don't know. John said this to Peter. It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. You see, in this failure-filled condition, Peter didn't recognize Jesus. John did. And you and I need partners in our lives that when we find ourselves in the misery of the train wreck, some that we create, maybe some that others created for you, you and I need somebody who looks and sees God at work and says, that's God in your life. That's God at work. There he is. Peter's response was to just throw himself into the sea. He, he did almost the opposite of what you, know, you would think of. Instead of taking off clothes and jumping, he put on clothes and jumped in. He, he just got, it was Jesus and all he could think about, I gotta get to Jesus. Forget the fish. You know, and here's the interesting thing. If you go back and you look at the opening of John chapter 21 in verse 1, it tells us, uh, the opening verses, that basically what happened was Peter got tired of waiting on Jesus and said, I'm going fishing. And the, the, the other guys that go with him said, okay, Pete, we'll go with you. And so now what does he do? He, he leaves them in the boat, man. He just jumps out the boat because Jesus is there, and, and, and he takes off. He swims. He wades. I don't know how he gets there, but, but he gets there because he knew that he was desperate for Jesus. He wanted more of that grace, more of that mercy, I believe, that he experienced in that first private meeting. He jumps in and goes for it. And I want you to notice a detail. Sometimes when you read Scripture, it's good to get the big picture, but sometimes there's some details in there that are really matter. And one of them is in John chapter 21, verse 9. It says, when they got out on land, when the other disciples got up there, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. There is only one other place in all of the New Testament that uses that word that gets translated charcoal fire. Only one other place. And it's back in John chapter 18. I want to read that to you. It says this. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire. This was back in the courtyard of the high priest where Peter denied Jesus. There's this charcoal fire there and now there's this charcoal fire by the sea. See, in the context of Peter's greatest failing, Jesus sets the table Kind of like Psalms tells us that God sets a table in the presence of our enemies. He set, he set this table in the presence of, of Peter's spiritual family. He's kind of recreating some of the conditions, if you would, so that he can restore Peter. And Jesus will do that for you. Jesus wants to restore you no matter how miserably you have failed him. Jesus has a restored vision of your life. And he's working his vision 
for that to become your reality, no matter how great you're failing, no matter how, how far you've fallen, Jesus' Jesus's desire is to restore you and move your life to even greater flourishing than before your great failing came. But you've got to receive it from him. You have a part to play in, in receiving that gift from Jesus. So there are two more things that I want to point out. If you want to move from, from failing to flourishing, you're going to have to do what Peter did. You've got to take that private, restorative walk with Jesus. Look what took place in John 21. I want you to see verses 15 and 20. It says, when they had finished breakfast, so they, they had finished breakfast. Now breakfast is over. They're finished eating. And it says, Jesus said to Simon Peter. And then there is this great conversation between Jesus and Peter. Now, I personally believe that Jesus and Peter had left the group. And they were, they were now walking. I'll show you why I believe that in a minute. But it's in this, in this moment that Jesus says to Peter basically three times, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says Peter answered, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, tend my lambs. And it says Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And then Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says that it grieved Peter that Jesus would ask him this a third time. And he says, Lord, you know everything. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus says, I want you to get about the business. Get back to what it looks like to flourish in my kingdom, to, to give you the life that I, I, I came to give you. And please notice that three times Jesus asked this question about Peter's love for him, corresponding to the three denials. And there have been volumes written on that and sermons given on that. And I'm not going to go into the details of that. But I just want you to see what, what took place. In verse 20, it says, Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So this conversation was going on between Peter and Jesus. And Peter looks back and sees John following them. This was a walk that he had taken. Now, I don't know how close John was. I don't know whether he was eavesdropping and so he could write the gospel, you know. I don't know what he was doing there. I don't know whether he even heard the conversation or whether Peter related it to him later. But I know that there was a walk taking place. And I think this was Jesus and Peter kind of one-on-one again, even though the, the brothers were around, you know. And it's, it's in this that Peter makes this great declaration of his love for Jesus. See, Jesus wants to give you those opportunities too, no matter how, how far you've fallen or how much you failed him. Jesus wants to create moments of intimacy to, to walk with him so you can hear him give you an opportunity over and over again to say, Jesus, I love you. And here's the cool thing. Peter declared it. Jesus knows. Jesus knows you love him. Jesus knew Peter loved him, but Jesus also knew Peter needed to say it. Sometimes you just need to declare your love for Jesus. You need to say it out loud so that your ears can hear it, so that other people can hear it, so that the gates of hell can hear it. You need to declare your love for Jesus because it builds life in you. It'll help you come out of your hiding. It'll help you get to the place where you can see yourself in his presence, walking with him because he's wanting to look you in the face and say, okay, let's get about purpose again. Let's get about the reason that we're in relationship. Follow me. 
That's what Jesus said to Peter. Now see, to, to move from failing into flourishing, you gotta do one more thing. You gotta step into the personal plan that the Lord has for you because he has a very unique, individualized, personal plan for each person. You can't always just get there on the coattails of somebody else's faith. Now, there may be some similarities. You may gather to worship. You may open God's word. You're, you're going to serve others. You're going to get in community. You're going to get engaged in all those kinds of things. But there's something specific that Jesus is going to want to do in your life to move you from failing to flourishing in his kingdom. And it's so important that you get connected to that, like Peter had to do. In verses 19 through 22, after after they've had this conversation, it tells us that after saying this, he, he, Jesus, said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? He's, he's saying, okay, what, what plans you got for him? What's going to happen to him? Look what Jesus said to Peter. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Don't worry about the plan I have for, for John. Don't worry about the plan that I have for others. And then Jesus says this, you follow me. Don't worry about anybody else's plan. You follow the plan I have for you. It's gonna be unique. It's gonna be different. Don't compare yourself to others. If you wanna move from failing to flourishing, you can't do it by ever comparing yourself to anybody else. You can't live out of their relationship with Jesus. You can only live out of yours. And Jesus has a personal plan that's intimate, that's unique for you, that he wants to bring restoration in your life. When you've failed, he wants to move you to flourishing. And that's what he did for Peter. Some of you know the, the story of Peter's life. Know that uh, not long after this event, Peter went on to preach the first evangelistic crusade in Jerusalem. And on that day of Pentecost, thousands, the Bible tells us, came to saving knowledge of Jesus and the church was born. And Peter started on this great kingdom adventure. But now, don't forget, this wouldn't be the last time that Peter would fail Jesus. Sometime in the not too distant future after the day of Pentecost, Peter would have to deal with the racism and judgmentalism in his own heart towards non-Jews. And he would fail Jesus miserably. And Jesus would restore him once again from his failing because that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does in the lives of, of his children. He has mercy new every day, the Bible says. He has forgiveness ready and waiting. And his grace is always sufficient. Now here's what I wanna do to kind of close our time together. I wanna, I wanna share with you something that's on the horizon for River Bluff. And this is, this, it's a tool that we're gonna be releasing shortly after Easter. And it, it has some measure for what we're dealing with today. And that is finding that unique individual plan that Jesus has for you. Now this is not only for when you fail miserably, but it is a plan to help you find flourishing, even more for it. Maybe your life is flourishing right now. God has a plan for you to flourish even more. We talked about this when we studied John 15 a few weeks ago. God, God has this plan. But sometimes you have failed miserably and you need to get in on that plan that God has for your flourishing. And interestingly, this, this tool, this resource that we have uh, that we're going to release is, uh, is called the growth plan. 
And Cindy Shirley has been working on the details of this plan for quite some time, so I'm going to ask her to join me up here on stage. Cindy, if you'd come. As Cindy's coming, let me just share with you that um, this has, uh, we really thought we were going to launch this um, back in January of 2020. And uh, it got a little bit delayed, and we didn't know why at the moment. I think we know why today, because we, uh, God's at work, and his timing is different than our timing, and we need to you know, be aware of that. But some of you know that one of the values that we have at River Bluff is, uh, is the kingdom of God. And what that means is we, we don't see ourselves as the only show in town. We believe we're one gospel outpost that God has planted in the, in the greater Charleston area. And we're not in competition with other churches. We love to collaborate and we love to give away. We love to share with other churches. But being kingdom partners means not only do you give, but you receive. And a church uh, called Northview Church out of Indiana um, had begun uh, using this tool that Cindy came across in a unique way, a God-led way, I believe, and reached out to them and just asked them about it. And it eventually led to this conversation where they said, we've been looking for a church to partner with to pilot this somewhere else. And River Bluff gets to be that church. And they gave us all the work, years of work that they had done and said, you can take it, you can make it your own, you turn it inside out so it fits your people and the unique ministry God has given you. And really for the past two years, that's what Cindy, one of the things Cindy's been working on. And Dean, Dean Enfinger has been involved kind of assisting her. She's been doing most of the work. So I wanted to get her up here to, to talk with you about what the growth plan is, how we're going to be able to access it, and what it could look like for, for you and me individually. I may stop and ask her some questions along the way, um, but we want to we move that forward. Now, let me say this. I said a while back, I mentioned the growth plan, and some people thought, oh, great, another 40 days. This is like nothing we've ever done before. And though it is for everyone in the church, it's not, what, it's not a church-wide campaign where we're all going to be studying the same book and watching the same DVDs and, and having you know, messages every Sunday about the same kind of thing like we did with 40 Days of Prayer not long ago. This is going to be individualized and unique, but to be done in the connection with a few other people. And um, so I want to make sure that I cleared up my miscommunication a few weeks ago about what the growth plan is, okay? It's, it's not something we're going to do all together at one time, uh, all on the same page. We're going to be on different pages, but together. Okay, Cindy, share a little bit about the growth plan. If you all want. right, thank you so much. And Joe's exactly right. It's not something we do once. We may do a growth plan several times throughout our Christian walk. You see, as we, as we walk with the Lord, we grow deeper and deeper in relationship with Him and you know, there are lots of people who are exploring what it means to have a relationship with Christ. There are some people who are discovering because they've already taken that step of relationship, but they really haven't learned all about it. There are people who are growing in their relationship with Christ, and we can grow and grow and grow for a long time. And then there are some times or some people who get to that place where they're devoting their life to Christ. They're living out of that relationship. And I think we have a graphic that shows that right there, how, how you can move through that step-by-step, stage-by-stage. But that movement, it, it's not just like, oh, I'm exploring, now I'm discovering, now I'm growing, now I'm devoting. It, it's, it can get messy. You can go up and down there. You can get stuck on one of those steps. 
And so we've known for a long time that everything we do to help our people to grow at River Bluff is important, but we needed to find a way that would help us to look at what do you got to do to move from one step to the next. And so what we did is we looked at, and we had done all of this well before we found the growth plan, but we had looked at all of the characteristics of people in each of those stages. And we said, okay, to get from here to here, there's some unique things that you need to do, understand practices, habits, lifestyle changes. You know, our whole journey with God is a process of surrendering, surrendering more, surrendering new things. But it's also a process of taking on new characteristics of Christ. And so the growth plan is a tool that we're going to implement at River Bluff and have around for a long time. So it's going to be here. And at any point when you sense the Lord saying, it's a time when I want you to grow, you know, I had an experience where I was just praying and the Lord said, in order to go to the next place I have for you, Cindy, you need more humility. And I began a journey of studying humility and looking for it in other people and finding ways to incorporate it into my life. And it turns out he was absolutely right. I needed more humility. And so when we found the growth plan, one of the things I said is, this is a lot like what I experienced because he showed me scripture that he wanted me to study. He led me to resources. And so what the growth plan does is it kind of provides that framework for all of us so that we can have a unique and personal experience with the Lord through the Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us to that next place of growth that he has for us. And the cool part is that we provide the framework and we do that through a little journal that you work on. And through that framework, every step, everything that you need to do, it's involved in there. And so basically you, you hear the Lord say, yes, I want you to grow. And in that moment, you just say, hey, I'm interested in the growth plan and you begin that journey. And through the 90-day journal, which you do, again, individually, but also with some other people who are doing their own 90-day journey, you'll have the opportunity to kind of look at where are you at in that growth process and self-evaluate that. You'll also have the opportunity to look at all of the characteristics of what we at River Bluff have determined is what we call a disciple. So things like being a kingdom representative, things like your identity in Christ, things like declaring the gospel. And so you'll measure, we have a little instrument we created that looks at what you believe, what you practice, what you do, what your habits are, and what your attitude is towards how much, how surrendered you are to each of those characteristics. And so you'll, we'll have a little tool you can take, and it'll point out for you in the 13 characteristics that we've identified for what a disciple is, kind of where are you where are you really strong and where might be there some room for the Lord to work? And then through prayer, through the guided journey, you will choose one of those. And then once you choose that, you know this, you will go back on our website and you'll have the opportunity to see and have for yourself a resource tool that will show you the kind of lifestyle changes you might wanna make in order to grow from the stage you're in to the stage, the next stage up under that specific area, let's say, for instance, being a kingdom representative. And so it will tell you how you can grow. What are some things you want to change? What do you want to put off? What do you want to put on? It'll also lead you to some scripture. It'll lead you to uh, pray, praying in different ways, possibly. 
really trying to connect you with God's word because we believe that there are, are specific beliefs that we have to have in order to grow and also some learning resources. So this is a journey, it's a guidebook, but the Holy Spirit is the one that will lead you because we give you a list of resources, but he may lead you in a totally different direction. Uh, he may lead you to a resource and then you come back to us and say, hey, you may wanna include this resource because this is the one that God told me to use and we want that. So uh, I wanna tell a little story. When I lived in Montana, I went up to uh, Glacier National Park and I was, I was hiking on this, uh, at the, the highest point in Glacier and, and I was hiking to this place called the Chalet. And it was a pretty long journey and so I bought this little guidebook that you just turn by turn, it told you where to go. It's kinda of like this. It had all kinds of information in it. And I'm, I'm hiking and all of a sudden I see this like, like white cloud below me, and I thought, oh my goodness, there must be a, f a forest fire or something. And then all of a sudden, as time went on, the cloud just was all around us, and I realized, nope, this is really a cloud. We were above the clouds, and now we are in the cloud. And you couldn't see like three feet in front of you, and so we're really dependent on this guidebook. And as we're, as we're walking and as we're hiking, all of a sudden I came to a turn in the, in the road that, or in the path that I didn't know which way we were supposed to go. It didn't seem to be in the guidebook, or the guidebook I had gotten too far. And we were standing there, and I was thinking, which way do we go? And out of this cloud walks this guy. And he looks at us and he says, if you're going to the chalet, it's that way. And, I, and for me, that was like, I wasn't even a Christian. I was like, that was God. I knew that was God. And that's the cool part about the growth plan is that this is your guidebook, but the Holy Spirit is your guide. And he's going to tell you, you go this way. This is what I want you to do. And you may have other people in your group your growth group, because we want you to have a growth, some growth plan training partners. And so th that may be one person who's mentoring you, or maybe one person that you're mentoring. Or it could be a group of people. But you'll have some people in your group, and they may be doing different uh, attributes. They may be in different stages, and that's perfect. Because it's a unique experience for you that you share that journey with other people as they go through their unique experience. And you don't have to worry about who you're gonna pick or anything else because the growth plan helps you to do that through the first two weeks. You know, on my journey, when we did a pilot study of this last summer, uh, I knew that I was to invite two people. One person's name was Kim and one person's name was Karen. And so I called Kim and I said, will you pray and see if there's anybody that you would like to invite to, to do this pilot study? And she prayed and I hadn't told her that I knew I was supposed to invite Karen. And I called her back about a week later and she said, yep, I know I'm supposed to do it and I keep hearing the name Sally. And, and so I said, you know, that's really cool because Sally and Karen were really good friends. And so it ended up that Kim and Sally and Karen and I did this growth group, this uh, opportunity to walk through the growth plan together, and we did it all via Zoom. We didn't meet together once in person, but we had so much connection and saw the Lord do so many unique and powerful things because we were on our individual journey, but we were sharing that together. And so the growth plan gives us that opportunity. It doesn't matter if that happens for you now or maybe six months from now, you're gonna have this resource so that if at any point you're maybe in a conference and the Lord speaks to you or you go on a mission trip or maybe something difficult happens in your life or maybe it's just that he says to you during your prayer time, 
you need more humility. Whatever it is, the growth plan will be there so that you can utilize it, access it, utilize it, and get some other people to walk through a process with you. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Um, one of the things that I, I do want you to pick up on too, and she's, she's talked about it, is it's, it's, it's renewable. So you may go through a 90-day journey using the growth plan, and it takes you to a very specific spot in your life to get connected to that very unique plan that Jesus has for you to grow you in that season, maybe grow you out of a failure or for whatever reason, this new kind of moment of growth that he has planned for you. Well, six months, a year, two years from now, that may come up again, and God wants to do something different in your life. He wants to point you to a new space that he needs you to find new traction and new growth to take you to the next level of flourishing that he has for you. This tool will be able to help you do that again. So it's going to be something that will be available. It'll grow in its capacity even as we, as we use it together and report back. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have some testimonies of those who walk through the, the pilot program to share a little bit about what the Lord did in them. But I want you to just begin to prepare yourself. Just begin asking yourself this question, Lord, where do you want me to grow? In this next season of my life, where do you, just start asking him so that when the growth plan is made available, you will already be asking that of the Lord and the Holy Spirit will start to, to show you. Cindy, thank you very, very much. Thank you. I, I want to, I just want to close our time together thinking for just a moment about that dream that Jesus has for your life. And if it is out of this, what I'll call this fatal failing that maybe you had, maybe, maybe you're in the middle of that right now and you just need to, to receive Jesus's mercy. You need to receive his grace. You need to know for certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter how far you've fallen or how badly you've failed, Jesus loves you. And he has a plan of mercy and grace for you. And he has a plan to move you from the greatest of failings to a life of beauty and flourishing. He has a, a restoration strategy for you, just like he had one for Peter. He has one for all of his children. And truthfully, for all of us, there is going to be this great and beautiful restoration when the Lord returns and he redeems us all fully and takes us to be where he is. But until that day, while we still live in this broken world, facing our failings, faltering, sometimes train wrecks, Jesus loves you. And he has a great plan for you. And I just want to close the service this morning together by worshiping that Jesus because of his great love for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just come, we come giving thanks that you have this vision for each life in this building, for each person who's named you as Lord and Savior, you have this beautiful vision of restoring our greatest failings, of redeeming back from our greatest faults and and just our train wrecks in life. You, you have a plan for that. We thank you that you put it in your word so we could see it, so we would know it was available for us too. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for declaring and showing your love for Peter so we would know that's who you are, that's the kind of God that you are, the kind of Lord and Savior that you are. We thank you that we got to see 
that demonstration of baptism, of being dead to sin, raised to walk in new life through James's just proclamation in his baptism, God. We thank you that this day, Lord, that's true for us, that you want to take us all from death into life everlasting with you. And so because of that, we come just closing our time together, worshiping, celebrating your goodness, giving thanks, Jesus, to who you are. It's in your name that we pray.